Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Homestead. It's great to have you here. See a few new faces. We had a few new faces come last Sunday for our New Year's Sunday morning extravaganza, which was a fun, a fun morning. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But we want to welcome you. It's great having you here. When we were finishing setting up this morning, we saw people arriving, and, and Christy and I commented, like, oh, we, we see a lot of kids. <laughs> there was so many kids here today. So I imagine up in kids' church, they are having some kind of a party. Um, it's great having you here. We talked a little bit last week. We had a shorter message because all the kids last week were in here. So if you were here last week, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a circus in here. Kids were, and not only did we have kids in here, we had two big balloon drops ready to go because we counted down to noon and said Happy New Year. It was super fun. But as soon as the kids come in, as soon as they see the balloons, all we have is kids like. Why is that man still talking? I'm waiting for these balloons to fall. So we kept things pretty short last week. I wanted to expand a little bit of what we talked about last week. We talked about in the midst of all these New Year's resolutions that we have, what if introducing faith to a new level was part of your New Year's resolution? What if we saw 2017 not as just a year to not only to do all sorts of great things with family, maybe financial goals, health goals, whatever it is, but we said we want to have faith, an increase of our faith to be part of our new year. So I wanted to expand on that a little bit because when we started this church almost two years ago, we're going to be planning our big two-year celebration bash here in a, in a little bit. Um, when Christy and I would talk about Homestead Church and what we felt like God was putting on our heart for this church and what we wanted to see, we, we listed a number of things. And for those of you who have been here for a while, you've heard me say this before, but spiritual growth, growing in our faith. We wanted to be a community of people that helped each other, a community of people that loved each other, that served the needs in our community. But we also want to be a community of people that grows in our faith. We grow in our faith. So that can look like a number of different things. And as we were worshiping this morning, I was thinking again, I would love this year for one of the ways that we grow as a church is in our worship, singing out our praise, growing in our response to God. That could be growing in your faith um, trusting God more, being willing to take a step of faith. We talked a little bit about that last week. But how can you grow spiritually this year? I would love it as you're starting this new year if you thought in those terms a little bit. How can I grow my faith this year? How can I grow spiritually? Maybe you haven't given that any thought. Maybe it's been years or maybe never that you've thought about that part of your life, your faith, that spiritual part of your life as an area that we can grow in. So I wanted to mention one thing and, uh, and I've mentioned this before, and for some of you, I'm going to start sounding like a broken record here, but um, for those of you in the younger generations, records are things that we used to put on record players and put a needle on, and when they would break, it would skip, and you would hear the same thing over and over again. Sorry, I made that reference realizing, yeah, maybe not everyone knows what I'm talking about, broken record. Um, one thing, and you'll hear me repeat this like a broken record, is I want us to be in the Word. I want us to be reading the Bible. We are increasingly, and I've read article after article about this, um, experts in the Christian faith are saying increasingly this generation is becoming a generation that is growing up in the faith without really spending a lot of time in the Word, without reading the Bible. I want us to be a church that is in the Bible, reading the Bible. So for me this year, um, I made a goal for me this year to read through the Bible front to back this year. Now, if you did that, and I'm a little behind on my daily quota, but it's about three chapters a day. If you read three chapters a day, you could read through the Bible. So I started Genesis 1, and I'm going to read through to the end. And I did this, I think, five or six years ago, and I really enjoyed it. 
Um, it was just great to kind of see how it all kind of fits together, see the timeline of events. Um, maybe this year you would want to do something like that. That might be a huge goal. Here's one goal that I think we could all have. If you read through the New Testament, so you start in the book of Matthew, it's about two-thirds, maybe three-quarters of the way through the Bible, just the New Testament, one chapter a day, you could read through the New Testament. And I think we could do that. Um, there are great resources available. I would encourage you, if you're going to read through a chunk of the Bible this year, maybe the whole thing or maybe the New Testament, I encourage you to find maybe a study Bible or something that has some little study aids with it so that when you get to the point, which we all do, and you're reading something and you're like, this doesn't make sense to me at all. I have no idea what's going on here. A lot of study Bibles will just have a little synopsis written at the bottom or little study guides or just things to help you understand what's going what's going on. There is a great app. So now I'm speaking the language of the younger generation. On your smartphone or iPad or whatever, there is a Bible app called YouVersion. U, Y-O-U version. YouVersion. And that is a Bible app, and you can look up different passages of Scripture. There are times where in church services, when I say, turn in your Bibles, you'll see someone grabbing their phone. We're assuming they're on a Bible app and not checking their Instagram likes or comments. Um, but a version app, you can read your Bible, you can have it on your phone. There are some great reading plans available. There's, if you open it up, there's a verse of the day which you can, you can read. There's also something which my wife read through a couple years ago, a chronological Bible. It basically takes all the Bible, puts it in chronological order. So you're reading it kind of in order of events. So you start with Genesis. And then when you get to the life of, like, for example, King David, you read the events of King David in Samuel and Chronicles and those books. But then you also read the Psalms that David wrote. And then you can also read from the prophets who were prophesying words of God during that same time. So it's all kind of the timeline of events. It's a great... Uh, it's a great option for you if you want to read through the Bible. And finally, you could get like an audio Bible. You could put it in your car, either on your phone or in a, on a CD. Kids, CDs are things we used to play in our cars. You're looking at your, your parents' car like, what is that long skinny slot thing there? What are you supposed to put in there? My phone won't fit in there. That was for a CD. You can get audio Bible where if you had a commute, you could just put that in. Rather than listening to the talking heads on radio in the morning, you could listen to 20 minutes of scripture on your way there, and you would be through the Bible in the year. It really doesn't take that long every day, three chapters a day, one chapter a day. If you had 15 minutes just to sit down, read a chapter, and then in addition to that, take some time and think about, okay, God, what are you speaking to me in this? Um, I would encourage you to spend some time reading the Bible. So where I wanted to start today, since I started in Genesis uh, last week, Genesis 1, I wanted to kind of start the sermon with reading the very first verses of the Bible, the creation account. It's going to be on the screen, but if you wanted to turn in a Bible, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, we'll get you one. If you don't have means to get one, we'll get you a Bible. We would love, if you, we have some black hardcover Bibles here, if you wanted to grab one of those and follow along today. If you want one, just take one of those. You can, we'll certainly cover that. That's no problem. We would love to have you take a Bible. Genesis 1, we're going to read 1 through 5, and then a few other verses in Genesis. This is the creation account. This is the very first thing right at the start of the Bible. What's going to be on the screen, it says this, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I love imagining that, just like the darkness, the 
the, the, uh, the expanse of darkness, the earth hadn't been formed yet, but just the spirit of God hovering over the waters. I thought that was pretty awesome. In verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. I love that. I love that creation account. God creating light from darkness. God separating the light from the darkness, saying, now there's day and there's night. This is God creating everything. It goes on. If you read on and on, it goes on. God creates land. God creates animals in the ocean. God creates animals on the earth. And eventually it gets to where God creates mankind in verse 26. I wanted to read verse 26 and 27 to you. Then God said in verse 26, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. This is the account of creation. This was written by Moses. You know Moses, the guy in the book of Exodus leading the people across the Red Sea. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, probably wrote them around 1400 B.C. Now, there's a lot of debate um, in our world today, even in churches, when they read through the, the creation account, when they read through this first chapter of Genesis. A lot of debate about the timeline. Well, when did this happen? When did God create this? Was it seven days in a row of creation, or was it seven days separated by, you know, thousands of years in between them? Um, it's important to note that Genesis, Moses, when he wrote this book of Genesis, he wasn't writing us a scientific textbook. There was no, like, strict timeline. A lot of people have tried to make a timeline about when this happened. Then, of course, it brings up all sorts of questions. Well, where's the dinosaurs? You know, there's no dinosaurs written in here and, and all those things. So there's a lot of debate about this. But when you get caught up in those details, you miss the big point that Moses was making when he wrote this, the big point that God was unveiling in this first chapter of Genesis. And that big idea, that big point is this. God is saying, there is one God. That's me. There is one God who created everything. God is establishing himself as the one true God who is eternal, who was here before everything. There is one God who created everything. He has absolute power. This is the big idea that you need to get out of Genesis 1. You don't want to miss that. One God who has all the power. Now, for the audience that Moses, when he wrote this, for the audience who would have heard this about 1400 B.C., this would have been a huge eye-opening idea to them. This idea that there is one true God. Because in that day and age with Moses, every people group you know, 1400 B.C., so obviously, you know, however long it was after God created Adam and Eve until Moses, there was all these people groups, all these nations around the known world at the time, and each one of those had their own God, their own deity, their own being that they would worship. Every nation, every people group had their own God. Now, you would pray to your God, and you would do all sorts of rituals and sacrifices to make your God happy, so that in your nation, you would be victorious over other nations, so that in your nation, the rains would fall when they needed to fall, and crops would grow. This was all up to your God. 
And so when a nation would go to war with another nation, it was just understood in that day, well, whoever wins, whatever nation wins, that means their God was more powerful than that other God. So for God to come in, for Moses to write this down, and God to introduce himself, our God, as the one true God, this would have been huge for those people in that time. And that's why so often when you read through Genesis, if you read through Genesis, you'll find when God speaks to his people, he keeps introducing himself like this. He keeps introducing himself as, I'm the one true God. Remember, I am God Almighty. Remember, I'm the God that created everything. Here I am, I'm speaking to you today as the one true God. I am God Almighty. So as we start this new year, as we think in terms of ways that we can grow in our faith, I thought it was so important for us to understand this foundation, for us to start with this foundation this year. There is one God. There is one God who is in control. There is one God who has absolute power. He created everything. He created you and I. So as you think in this new year, all the things you're going to face, all the difficulties you're going to encounter, all the highs and the lows that you're going to go through with your, in your marriage, in your family, in your work, all the things that you're going to face this year, you can face them with this foundation. We serve the one true God who has absolute power. He has absolute power. And another thing we see in Genesis as we move on, we're going to jump ahead to chapter 17 here. What we see in Genesis, now that God has created mankind, God created Adam and Eve, and then they had kids, and that mankind became evil. So it wasn't too, too long into the Old Testament, about seven chapters in, where God realizes, man, these people are evil. We're going to wipe them out. So he's already you know, wiped out humanity with Noah and the ark once. And now we're, we're again, soon after Noah and his kids in Genesis chapter 7, I believe. Then society increasingly becomes evil. So what God does in Genesis chapter 17 is he reveals this plan for redemption of mankind. He has created mankind. They are turning to evil, and God is introducing this plan for redemption. And it's through a guy we know as Abraham. So I want to read verses 1 through 7 of Genesis 17 today as we move on. It says this in Genesis 17. When Abram, he was known as Abram at this time, was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Again, God introducing himself as the one true God. I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. This is God saying, not only am I the one true God, 
I will be your God. This is going to be my covenant with you, Abraham, not just for you, but for your kids and your descendants, which will populate the earth. And now, as we get to us in this day and age, we are those same people, those same descendants of Abraham. In the Old Testament, it was the Jewish people, and this was the nation of Israel that God was going to bless. Well, in the New Testament, we learn that this is for all people. Jesus introduced this covenant to all people, that we are now children of God. He is our God. We are his people. This is the covenant that he has established with us, this relationship that we can have with the one true God. So we see that, God establishing this covenant, saying, not only am I the one true God, but I will be your God, and you will be my people. There is a word in the Bible, which is a, which is a very Bible word. It's a very church word. It's the word consecrate consecrate or consecrated. You see this word used throughout the Old Testament especially. But this word means to be set apart, to be set apart as holy, to be set apart as righteous. This is what God is saying to his people. You are to be consecrated. You are my people. You are set apart for the things of God. We see this in other things as well. When God created the Sabbath day, he said the seventh day, one day a week, is to be consecrated, set apart for the things of God. We see that when he tells his people, the firstborn of your livestock or the first fruits of your harvest are to be consecrated and set apart for the things of God. And so that's what God is saying to his people. That's what God is saying. The same thing with us. We are God's people in this covenant. We are set apart for the things of God. God's people are set apart, consecrated, dedicated for him. So the two, now there's another big thought here. There's two big thoughts that I want to kind of introduce today. And the one is this, there is one God. I already mentioned that. And the second is this, we are his people. We are dedicated to him. We are to be set apart for him. Another way to put it is he is God and we belong to him. We are his people. So you read this throughout the Old Testament, even in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we get to a guy named the Apostle Paul. And he writes in Romans 14.8, this will be up on the screen. He writes it this way, this idea of being set apart for God. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So live or die, that's kind of the only two options we've got. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. We belong to him. So now as we start a new year, thinking about how can we grow in our faith, we have this framework, we have this lens that we can see everything through. That I am not my own. I am God's. I am set apart for him to be redeemed, to be holy for his purpose. So now you apply that to every area of your life. So I apply that to my marriage. I'm married to Christy. She is lovely. And I think, okay, now my, I see marriage not as how I want to view marriage, but I view it in this lens of I am set apart for God. So God, how do you want me to love Christy? And he lays it out in the New Testament. Love her as I have loved the church and gave Give yourself up for her. Sacrifice for her. I see that with my kids. I see that as, God, I am yours. I am set apart for you. So how do you want me to parent these kids? How do you want me to parent these kids? And I recognize these are not 
my kids. I am a steward of these kids. These are God's children as well. How do you want me? In this knowledge that now I am yours, I am set apart for you, how do you want me to parent these kids? How do you want me to raise them up so that they will grow and they will learn that they are set apart as well for the things of God? In my church, how I serve my community, in my workplace, how I work every day, Going to work every day realizing I am doing this because I am set apart for God. God, I want to do everything to honor you. How we handle money. We realize this is not just all my money to steward and hoard and to spend or to hoard for myself and to spend on myself, but we are stewards of this money. God, how do you want me to use my resources seeing as I am set apart for you for the things of God? Even our words that we speak, our thoughts that we have. How, God, how do you want me to think about things? May my mind, may my thoughts also be set apart, set apart for the things of God. So this is the idea, that we are set apart, that we are to be redeemed, that we are to be set apart as righteous and holy for the things of God. Now we know we are human. We know this is not an automatic thing. This doesn't happen automatically, right? Nobody can sit here today and say, yeah, I do that all the time. I'm, I'm nailing that. I am on fire with that stuff. You know, this is not an automatic mission accomplished situation. We don't automatically act like this. We don't automatically act set apart. We don't automatically feel set apart all the times. There's always this human fleshly desire pulling us away from the things of God to the things that we want, right? You can, you can nod, right? You've experienced that. We've all experienced that. Where we read in the word and we know from God and God would say to us, you, God would say to you, you belong to me, you are set apart for me. Our flesh cries out, our human nature cries out, no, no, I belong to me. I belong to me. I want to rule and run my life. I want to decide what is best for me. And thus, that leads us to our current condition that we live in, God's people, learning to live in that tension of what we want versus what God wants, learning what it means to live as God's people, consecrated, set apart as holy for him. Uh, it occurred to me as I was studying and writing this message this week that many people view that idea of belonging to God as a negative thing. Many people would use that as the reason they don't want anything to do with faith. Maybe you're here today and you're just kind of checking out church or you're new to this whole faith thing and you would say, yeah, that's kind of a roadblock for me. I don't like the idea of giving rulership of my life to somebody or something else. Many people would view that as some sort of like bondage of like, why would I want to let God run my life? I'm going to be happy running my own life. I want to be free to do what I want. Why would I give up that freedom, so to speak? That's a very common thought process for people who are, who are not yet children of God. And uh, when we read, when they would read a verse like Romans 14, verse 8, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord, they would see that as every day, whether I live or die, every day having God looking over my shoulder, waiting for me to mess up, waiting for me to do something wrong so that he can judge me, so that he can kind of smush me with his 
big heavenly thumb, sort of speak, right? Waiting for God to see something I'm doing wrong and to always feel like, oh, I can't do that, rules and rules and regulations. And for a lot of people, this would be reason why they want to stay away from faith, why they don't go to church. They're just like, it's all rules, it's all people and God and a book telling me all the things I can't do. Why would I want to do that? Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking those things right now. And that, I don't know where you're at on your journey of faith, but I know that there are people who feel that way. But here's the truth that we know about God. And if you have experienced this, then you know what I'm talking about. That not only is he the one true God with absolute power, he is also the one true God of love, of mercy, of grace. Christy was mentioning it as she was leading worship this morning. She said, not only is he the God of the universe, but he looks on us with love and grace and mercy and compassion. The creator of the universe, this God that we read about, creating light and darkness, speaking and things coming into being, planets and stars and all of creation. This same God, this one true God, loves you as a father, as a loving father loves their children. This all-powerful God always showing mercy, always giving a chance for people to come to him. We see that throughout the Old Testament. God saying, turn to me, turn to me, be part of this covenant with me, turn to me. And then ultimately we see this in the New Testament when Jesus comes. God gives his son. We know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. God gave his son for us. Jesus, the son of God, humbled himself Philippians 2 verse 5 says it this way, says it so well. We need to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I don't know if this is on the screen or not. We need to have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant and gave his life. He became obedient to death. This is Jesus, Son of God. This is the heart of God, giving for us, dying for us. This is what we know to be true of God. So if you are skeptical about God, if you are skeptical about this faith thing, if you are skeptical saying, I'm not going to give my life, I don't want to belong to anybody else, I want to run my own life. Giving my life to God sounds like bondage and rules and you know, all those things. I want you to see it in a new light. Giving your life to God is freedom. Giving your life to God is whether we live or whether we die, we belong to him, this all-powerful, loving God who is faithful, who is powerful to get you through anything, who is with you no matter what you walk through. When you feel you're all alone in the middle of a night somewhere where you're feeling hopeless and lost and worried and anxious, you know that God is there with you. He is by you. He is protecting you and providing for you. If you would be his people, he would be your God with you every day. When we sang that song this morning, one thing remains, your love never fails. I love the line in there. In death, in life, I'm confident and I'm covered by the power of your great love. Those words written right out of that verse in Romans that we read. In death, in life, we belong to him, the great God who loves you and cares for you and has a plan for your life. So we're going to wrap up in a few minutes. I have a couple more things to share, and then we're going to take communion together. Um, 
but in the weeks and months to come, we're going to talk more as far as Homestead Community Church as a church, goals that we have. We have goals this year. We want to continue to pursue different options for facilities. We rent this facility from Faith United Methodist Church, and they have been wonderful. But we know ultimately down the road we want to find a different facility. We have goals as far as, and today was a great reminder, we have goals with kids and student ministry in this church to see it thrive, to see kids come into this church and love coming to church. As a parent, there's nothing greater than if my kid says, I want to go to church today. And that's what we're, that's what we're trying to do in kids' church, and that's what we're doing a good job. Linnea is doing an awesome job up there. But we want to serve the next generation. We want to see them grow up knowing this God, knowing the Bible, knowing the truths of Scripture. We want to see people step in and serve in ministry. Maybe this year one of your goals could be to find a place to serve at the church here, and we could use you. We could use help with kids and youth and different things on Thursday nights, Sunday mornings. Um, we would love to talk to you more about that. We have goals as a church institution to become, you know, this is going to sound church, churchy, but we are kind of an affiliated church with our district in the Assemblies of God. That's our denomination. And we want to have a, our own board. We have a district board. As a non all nonprofits need to have a board. But this year we want to set up our own constitution and bylaws, have our own board members, have our own membership, which sounds very churchy. And some of you are like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to sign my name anywhere. But it won't be threatening in any way. We'll keep it nice and, nice and fun. Maybe we should have like membership parties instead. We'll, we'll make it super fun. But we want to do that as a church this year. We want to find ways to connect with our city, to serve our community. Um, we, I, a goal of, of mine this year as a church is to really make more connections with our public schools, to connect with the students in there. I just know more and more talking to different students, man, this is such a key time in their life, and I would love as a church for us to find ways to connect more with them. Um, and all these things, there's corporate church goals that I have for this year, but foundational to this, first and foremost, is what I'm talking about today that we as his church, we as his people, you and I, we are his church. Us as individuals would live each day this year through the lens of this found framework or this foundation that he is the one true God and we belong to him. So how can we live as set apart people? How can we live as God's people? Students, how can you go to school with the mindset of, I'm here to learn, and I'm going to learn all sorts of great stuff, but I am here as a student that is set apart for God. God has a call on my life. Students, that is you. You are God's chosen people. You are set apart for the things of God, even as you go to middle school, high school, college, whatever you're doing. God is with you. You are there, set apart as a child of God, and we want to help you grow in that. It's going to work. How does that affect you, being a set apart, someone who is God's child? How does that affect the way you work? How does that affect the way you talk to your coworkers? How does that affect the way we interact with our neighbors, those who are lost in our community, needs that we see? How do we know as children of God, God, how do you want me to meet these needs? What does that look like for you this year in 2017? How can your goals and your plans for the year change in this light that you are a child of God, set apart, you belong to God. We're going to end with a time of communion this morning, so Christy's going to come and just play and lead us in a song in just a minute, but I wanted to start this communion time, and what we're going to do in a minute is we'll just have people come up, and this is a time where we take the communion elements, maybe you've never done this, 
Um, this is symbolic. It's a cracker and it's grape juice, and it is symbolic of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was broken and shed for me and you. And so we're going to have in a minute, we'll have everyone come up, and it'll probably be easiest if you just come up the center aisles and we got two stations here and then kind of go back the outside aisle just to create some flow of traffic this morning. But here's what I wanted to mention as we start this communion time. We, we talked about this covenant that God created with Abraham all those years ago, thousands of years ago, and said, I'm going to be your God, you will be my people. Um, there was a co- that covenant was based on the righteousness of the people. If you did the right things then things would go well for you. And this is what we read throughout the Old Testament. God saying, if you will obey me, if you will be faithful, if you will be righteous, all these good things are going to happen for you. And that was the covenant of God's people for thousands of years. Up until that one night, about 2,000 years ago now, when Jesus was with his disciples, they were sharing the Passover meal. And at the end of the meal, Jesus, this was the night before he was crucified, And he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, this bread represents my body, which is going to be broken for you. And then he took the wine and he poured it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, this blood represents, or this wine represents my blood, which is shed for you. And he said these words, this blood, this cup is the new covenant. He used that word. This is a new covenant. So he was referring to that covenant that God made with Abraham thousands of years before that said, if you will obey me, things are going to go good for you and I will be your God and you will be my people. That is the covenant that I have with you. And now Jesus with his disciples, this was a huge statement. He said, this is now a new covenant. And this covenant is not based on your rule following. This covenant is not based at all on how well you follow the rules and the guidelines and how well you obey things. This covenant is 100% based on my blood, which is shed for you. You now are children of God. This is when, this is why we can be here today and say, I am covered by the mercy and grace. I am covered by the blood of Jesus because that covenant was for me. That covenant was for you. This new relationship we have with God, all established because Jesus gave his life for you. So as we wrap up this sermon and start this communion, let's just bow our heads and take a moment of prayer. God, we are so thankful that you have chosen us, that you are not a distant God, We recognize your power. We recognize that you are the one true God, the creator of the heavens and earth. But we are so grateful for your heart of love, that you are our God, that you are with us, that we belong to you. We have been set apart for you. Not set apart to a life of constantly feeling judged and following the rules and always falling short, but a life of freedom, knowing that we do fall short, We'll never measure up to your standard, but because of your blood, you have made a way for us to be in relationship with you. So before we take this communion time, as, as, the heads are, as you have your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you are here and you've never accepted that mercy and grace and salvation of Jesus Christ, this could be your day. You could start 2017 being made new in this covenant relationship. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to lead a prayer, and I'm going to ask everyone here to just say it along, and maybe this is the first time you're going to pray this prayer. But if you pray these words and you just accept the mercy and salvation of Jesus Christ, 
And the Bible says that you are now forgiven and set free. You are part of this covenant relationship with God. So I want everyone to repeat after me. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. I know that I am a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. And I receive your grace and your mercy. And I receive your grace and your mercy. I repent of my sin. I repent of my sin. And I turn to you today. I turn to you today. I make you my Lord and Savior. I make you my Lord and Savior. I want to live for you. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name.